Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Harut Chakazian, welcome to the I Shall Protect podcast. Hello, Mr. Brad Dalrymple. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Look, it's a pleasure. You said my name very well. I've known you for a very <laughs> many <laughs> years, but I actually still struggle with your surname. Well, for the last 45 years, it's Harut Chakazian. When I'm being called by my grandmother when she was still with us, it was Harut Chakazian. What are the origins of, of Chakazian or Chakazian? <laughs> Armenian background. So, Armenian. Born in Australia. You were born in Australia, but your grandmother was from Armenia? Armenian heritage on my dad's side, uh, Egyptian and Armenian heritage on mum's. When does the uh, family land in Australia? Oh, many, many years ago. It's been probably 55 years or something like that. And we're richer for it. This is a bit of a special episode because this is our final episode for 2023. I think it's the first time I've actually had anyone from Ocean Protect on the show all year. We probably should explain to the listeners, what does actually Ocean Protect do? Well, it's become quite a few things, actually. I mean, in the last, what is it, 13 years that I've been with the company, people probably know us as a stormwater treatment manufacturer or a stormwater treatment supplier. Designing manufacturing, installing stormwater treatment devices, gross pollutant traps, in-pit baskets, stormwater filtration, uh, media systems, membrane filtration. We stop pollution basically going into our waterways, creeks, rivers. We collect pollution off car parks, roofs, you name it. That's, that's what we do. So design, supply, install, and then maintain and service those systems. What do you actually do for a job though? That's also changed a few times over the years, but ultimately my primary role would probably be on the specification to so engineering technical side, assisting engineers, possibly even councils at some point throughout the day, either understanding, educating, designing, helping them provide a solution for a project. An engineer comes along and says, I've got a block of apartments over here, or I've got Barangaroo Headland Park over here, or I've got an Audi shopping centre. Hey, I've got a certain requirement to remove certain amount of pollution, uh, hit water quality objectives. What do we need to do? What can we do? These are the uh, constraints I have on my site. What's the best thing for this project? How do we do this in a feasible way? You've been with Ocean Protector quite a few years. How did you get to basically be where you are now? Let's take it all the way back, baby. You know, <laughs> Pretty much fell into it. <laughs> well, yeah, let's see if my kids are listening to this. I did fumble my way through high school, um, but managed to, <laughs> managed to land an opportunity to do a, a civil degree 
made my way through that. I had a piece of advice from an engineering, a friend, friend of an uncle who was a structural engineer. And he said, if you want to be at the time a human calculator, then you can go into consulting world and move into the structural right. structural game. And I thought to myself, no, I don't want to be a human calculator. <laughs> don't know how, if that was just his gripe at the time, but that was the advice passed to me. So I thought, what else can I do? And I knew, again, through family and friends about project engineering and, and that sort of thing. So I ended up working for a company, Ward Civil Environmental Engineering, straight out of uni. Actually, at the time, the Olympics were, were a year out. And I ended up working on the broadcast center car parks with Ward. So I went into project engineering, site engineer, did that for probably two or three years. And then I went to BHP. It was a short stint on the technical side, looking after some structural products, a company called Humes, Humes Precast, uh, who a lot of people probably know as manufacturing concrete pipe and civil precast solutions. Um, there was an opportunity there and, and I shifted into that from BHP. I was there for nine years. I ended up on the structural side of the business first, opportunity became available in the environmental area of the business. And I just thought at the time, why not? I'll give that a go. That was about four or five years. And so designing and looking after gross pollutant traps. And that's how I sort of got into the environmental space and loved what that meant. Mike and, uh, and Jeremy met me at a couple of conferences throughout that time. And as you do, you meet your competitors and become friends with a lot of people. And, you know, we're a, we're a small industry, but, you know, we're all pretty passionate, I would I would say. And yeah, over a few months, the guys uh, and I had a few chats and decided to, to make the jump and get more into, I guess, what Ocean Protect does and and that that technical aspect of filtration. I mean, at the time, you know, it was something that was quite new. In June next year, it'll be 13 years. Wow. So early days at Ocean Protect. So we're obviously, I think, 21 years old now, 50 plus staff. Take us back to day one. What was it like? Day one at Ocean Protect, I walk up a set of stairs in a little industrial complex. I think there was me and two others, and those two others were going to the airport, and I was by myself. And so I was a little shocked. There was a few more people that turned up later that morning, six of us in the company. Day one, bit of a culture shock for me, coming from a company that had 2,000 people, I think, at the time in Oh, in wow. Australia, at least, and, and part of a bigger group. That wasn't your impression, though. I've heard snippets of you talk no. about this. You thought Ocean Protect was a lot bigger, basically. <laughs> and I think most people did. Most people did. So the, the chats that I had with the guys was never at the office. So it was always down at a cafe or uh, somewhere, grab a bite to eat. It was probably well played on their part. Let me put it that way. So, very smart. I reckon a lot of people still have that impression. We're big enough, apparently, to have a podcast as an example and, and do a whole bunch of <laughs> webinars. And we're still really quite small, really. And everyone knows each other, basically. So it's a very much, a, it feels like a very small family, basically. 100%. And, and a few big, big personalities or a few what are you you know, about? people that, <laughs> oh, look, I'm not talking about you, Brad, obviously. I mean, why would anyone think that? Um, no, look, and I think it's probably more, as I said, well, it's probably a reasonable size industry these days, but it's yeah. still small in terms of, of what we do. So mm. you get to know a lot of people and therefore your passion or your energy will come out. That or the products which have for many years spoken for themselves. We spoke about it the other day with resilience mm. when it comes to Filterra or if it's the data that supports certain technologies that we have, Stormfilter, that's probably one of the most simple yet ingenious products that's ever been invented by one of the most humble but smartest men I've ever met, Mr. Jim Lenhart. So those sorts of things create a lot of buzz. And I think with that and a lot of 
uh, opportunity to do some good things. And the reputation brings maybe this feeling of, hey, this is bigger than what people actually realize or, or think. And then I think the amount of work that we get through as a company and what we do and the facets of the business create this impression that it's quite big. And look, it's not small anymore. As you said, we're 50 plus, probably 60 plus next year. It's building into bigger and better things every day. We are a small company, I guess you'd say, like 50-something staff, but it is amazing. And I love sort of bang for buck in terms of effort for reward. And we've done some rough calculations. It's just rough because we don't really have a good understanding of how effective all our devices are on the ground because they're, what, 50,000-plus assets across Australia. We think we're stopping about nine tonne of pollution going through our waterways every day, which I still stagger at that amount. That's nine tons of really manky litter, heavy metal, contaminated sediment, all that sort of stuff. perspective, Brad. Yeah. How much is that in someone's garbage bin? Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. How many garbage bins are we talking about? Yeah. Like yeah. huge. When did you sort of make that connection? So you're designing concrete and working with BHPs and all that sort of stuff, and you get introduced to this area around stormwater treatment assets like gross pollutant traps. Was it sort of like a real eye-opener for you? Like what was that first moment like? To be honest, it probably took me a little while because you get so focused on the work part of it, if that makes sense. Because yeah, of course. regardless of whether you like what you do and you feel good about it, which we do, and we'll come into that in, in a sec, but you sort of get lost in your day-to-day. And I think, and I remind myself of that all the time, you know, you get asked questions if you're out at a do with family and friends, you know, if you're out at a conference, you always, yeah, the feel good part of it. But everybody in their day to day has certain measures and, and obligations to meet. You sort of get thrust back into the crazy stuff. So I spent quite a lot of time trying to understand and learn about what I was getting involved in. I'm the type that if I'm going to go and, and present to people. If I'm going to go and have a chat with an engineer, I want to know what I'm talking about. I want to understand it and I want to believe it. I want to know that it actually works. You know, I've had situations in the past where, you know, we've had a new technology we're going to bring out to the market. Um, This is many, many years ago, back in our life before Ocean Protect. And it was through the phase of some basic testing and and you, you find that the system might not be working as well as what you thought it was. And so you go and see a handful of people and say, listen, it's probably not going to achieve what you think it is. But you've got to believe in what you do. For me, You want to know that it's actually going to provide an outcome that you're telling everyone that it will, or even for your own satisfaction that you know what you're doing is right. So look, my my time starting off um, was very basic. We had gross pollutant, a couple of gross pollutant traps. And and, and I'd argue that most products designed in this space will probably do something. They will catch something. You put a screen in place, you know, it's going to catch something. You have a device that allows for a bit of settlement, you're going to catch something. So they work. I don't think it was probably until a, a couple of years into it, you know, where you start getting a bit more passionate about it because you you find you work on a project, you might be 12 months into a design on a project, working with an engineer on and off over that time. It goes to construction, it gets DA approved, it might be a couple of years later and, you, and your product gets swapped out by a competitor's product and you know how products work and you know what they are meant to achieve and you start thinking to yourself, hang on, that's not right. That's That's not what is meant to happen because that product is meant to do this, this is meant to do this. And the requirements of council are X. And so you start thinking, hang on, no, we've got to do something about this. Let's fight the good fight. You know, and that's, I think, where my passion started to build about mm. doing the right thing, as well as at wanting to be successful, obviously. Of course. If we don't do well in our business, we can't keep whatever it is, spread the good word, put more good products out there, collect more pollution, 
whatever it might be. You know, grow the business, give people an opportunity to get involved, do what we're doing here now, Brad. You yeah, know, we, we wouldn't have been able to do this if we didn't grow the business. So yeah. you want a successful business, you want good people, you want passionate people, you want a good base and foundation for that business, and then you want products you, you can trust oh, 100%. Uh, with technology that work. Yeah, I was probably the same. Like I, I spent, I've probably been in the stormwater industry, if you want to call it that, for some 20 years. And I reckon I did. Uh, several years of music models and designing buyer retention systems and writing reports and telling people about cash flow management, stormwater management, all that sort of stuff. As a consultant, the human calculator, as, as your colleague would have described me, it took a long time, I'd say well over a decade before you, you start seeing, I guess, you, more and more footage you see. And basically, I, from my perspective, what we're doing in terms of telling a story around pollution in our waterways and where it's coming from, you do get really passionate because your, your minds are blown, uh, basically. When people talk about plastic in our oceans and straws up turtles' noses and whales full of plastic bags, uh, and then you make the connection as to where that's coming from, you get pretty fired up. And it, I, I, like I said before, I, I was a long time coming to that realization. And I think that's, for me, the biggest challenge that we face as a, as a company, as individuals day to day is just telling that story uh, more effectively, uh, highlighting the fact that, hey, this is really important. We're not just trying to sell you a widget. If you don't buy it from us, you can buy it from Joe down the street and they, their widget's just as good as ours. It's not that case at all. That's probably the key challenge from, from my perspective that we, we face day in, day out, like telling the story, trying to educate and convince our clients and public that what we do is important. And sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of Others in the market aren't potentially doing as ethical as a, a, a job of trying to stop pollution in our waterways as, as possible, which I, I still struggle with. Like uh, we're in an industry where we're trying to protect the environment. There are players are just trying to make a dollar. If I'm honest, not not to say that their devices don't work in some fashion, but when you're looking at you know some devices that work really well and some that don't uh, do so, that's for me a particular frustration. There's a couple of things you know that I probably make comment on here and. Most people that know me would know that I'm, or hopefully would think that I'm quite respectful when it comes to talking about, you know, that space and competitors and that sort of thing. Sometimes you get quite passionate about what mm. you say and people mm. might take that the wrong way. At the end of the day, like I said, we're a company, we're a business trying to make money to keep doing a good thing, but mm. we're also there to provide a return to shareholders, just like any other company. And I think about this a lot, whether it's us in our game or our competitors, whether it's Consulting engineers, I think people need to understand consulting engineers run a business of engineering. They need to make money, they've got investors, and they need to provide a service. If you're in a council, you're not you know, so much running a business if you're the engineer in the development assessment section, but you're part of an organization that needs to be financial, financially mm. viable and provide a service back to the community. You know, If you're the government, if you're one of our clients, a, a plumber, a civil contractor, Everybody wants to make money mm. um, and we all have things that we give back to. You know, I look on LinkedIn and I'll see people going on charity rides or, you know, raising money for, for good causes. It might be something for the environment. It might be something for, you know, a cancer institution or, and I've done those sorts of things as well. And, and, it, and it gives, it gives something back and you're proud of what you do. Um, so you make money for certain reasons, obviously, but, um, I think we all have to keep in mind that what we do on a daily basis is make sure the organisation is viable. So, the, getting getting lost in in that 
discussion around why do some companies, what seems to us, either deliberately or just choose to do something without consideration for consequence. I think that's a big struggle that I've always had. There will be companies that will go out and people will make the statement about us, you know, just trying to market your business by doing certain things. But I think I'm proud about the fact that what we do and the things that um, us as a group, um, what we get involved in, um, has a message, has an outcome that is tangible, whether it's going out and su- supporting the charities. Um, you know, we're, we're developing products that are using waste that we collect. We're developing technologies. There's always, in every industry, I find there's always a leader and other companies follow and try and ride off their coattails. And I believe that we're the leader in that indus- in this industry. You know, others will claim that that position, but it's not just about the biggest business. It's about purpose and what you actually achieve. Um, we might not be the biggest, but I think what we do is tremendous. And so, to me, it's quite important. You know, and and I go back a step. I I'm quite proud also about the fact that you know my kids know what I do. I've been to their school to teach them about what we do. Um, you know. If we're walking around, you know, we're out like we are, like we were on the weekend. I can talk to them about things at the Parramatta River, or you know, we we did this over here. If we're in the city at, you know, the Opera House or at Barangaroo, and you know, we're, I'm quite proud about what I've done. But 20 or 30 years, I hope my children will turn around and say my dad was a legend and his company was awesome. Um, so, you know, it's it's wishful thinking, possibly. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But but you know, that's for me. As simple as it is, something yeah. that I'm quite um, proud of, as I said, you know, teaching the kids about that sort of – and the world that we're in is changing, you know. Sure. Um, and the younger generation are becoming more um, engaged in this space. And so I think it's a bit easier for people to come into our business. I saw a, a CV from a young person that reached out to us. Every, every month we've got people reaching out to us saying, we love what you do, we want to come and work for you. That probably in itself is a, is a great yeah. yardstick for, you know. Yeah. For, for what we do. No, I look, absolutely. And, and I think we're in a very fortunate position that we actually can make a living out of protecting the environment. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, charities and not-for-profits or even just sort of very small community groups trying their best to protect the environment for nothing uh, with no financial reward, which is very uh, – it's amazing to see. But from my perspective, to have the greatest impact, you need to be financially – uh, sustainable and viable, and if you can do that by your own means, uh, as as what we do, it's an incredible uh, privilege and responsibility. But also, it comes with a lot of power as well. Like we're stopping about nine ton of pollution every day. If we were a, uh, a litter cleanup organisation doing that through community grants or government grants, we'd be legends. Like we'd be high fiving our, ourselves to the cows come home, but the fact that we do it as a business, it's a really fine line, isn't it? Like, because uh, some people go, "Oh, you guys, are, you guys are legends," but sometimes, "Oh, you, we get the criticism that you guys, oh, you guys are just trying to make money." Um, and I'm like, well, like you said, there's nothing wrong with making a dollar out of protecting the environment. In fact, it's actually, uh, I'd, I'd actually argue it's actually a really positive thing. But we do get tarnished with that brush. I, and we shouldn't be surprised that there are, given that there's a commercial opportunity here to protect the environment um, by trying to stop pollution into our waterways, we shouldn't be surprised that other people try and get in and potentially cut corners and try to claim that they are doing the same thing as what we're doing. Some of them are doing some some really good things. Sure, there's always going to be a you know a, a percentage of of the industry that you know drags the name 
through the mud or, or mm. just tries to take advantage. It is what it is. And, and maybe that's because we're in a position where what we do from a regulation or regulatory perspective isn't where it should be and policy needs to improve. And, and unfortunately, although, and you know, we've done plenty of surveys and we know people in this country are very passionate about our waterways, you know, what we do for our pastimes when we're coming into summer, the beach is going to be where the bulk of the country is going to be going, obviously. So, you know, we're passionate about it. We want it to be clean. And it's a visual thing often. Unfortunately, a lot of the, the issue is with the unseen pollution, as we know, but even the just the visual stuff, you know, litter, gross uh, vegetation, you know, anthropogenic, you know, man-made stuff. It's a big problem. But if our policy and our and the basis for what we do isn't strong enough and I guess robust enough to manage the majority of what we do from a design perspective, solutions that are going in, making sure they, they are achieving what they are meant to achieve, then I think we're still going to have these situations where we don't end up with the solution that really is what was the intent when the design first started. And we see that all the time. The sales team will, will come and, and say to me on a daily basis, got this project and, oh yeah, we have a certain size filtration system and we've got a, a plumber that's come back with an alternative that's 10 times smaller. Does it make any sense? Is it too good to be true? You know, it's one of those things that I said for many years, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It's usually the rule. You can't sort of blame these guys. You know, we've got a lot of good clients that try to do the right thing, but everything's driven by the dollar. And even if it's as simple as look at cost of materials, people and and a lot of people struggle with cost of living. Work-wise in our industry in construction is no different. The cost of materials in construction have increased dramatically. You've got to look for the opportunity to find savings and do things in a better way. So if there's a company out there saying, oh, we can do it better and you never have to clean it, don't worry, it, it'll, um, it'll take care of itself, put it in, it's a tenth of the size and we're going to save you half the money, some people are going to go for that. The question is, why did that company say that in the first place? Because they're going to be out there tomorrow saying, look at us on social media, we're fantastic. And that's the world we live in these days. So unfortunately, you know, money talks. We should explain some of the technical detail around that because that for me, like I'll, I'll try to give more of a, a layman's term description of what uh, Harut uh, just described because we live and breathe this and this for me is our key challenge day in, day out. We'll, we'll specify a designer solution where Harut will uh, work his uh, butt off to come up with a fancy design and do this whole bunch of modeling backed up with a whole bunch of performance monitoring data for various technologies. And for example, there'll be a, a solution proposed to stop pollution going into our waterways from a particular development site. A client or a contractor or a plumber might come along and say, oh, no, I've got this alternative to Harut's, say, 20-filter system. They tell me that they can put in just a, a two-filter system at tenth of the price and it will never be, ne- never need to be maintained either. Fundamentally, if you just think of just as a filter that'll stop pollution, uh, filters, if they're working, will stop pollution. And fundamentally, that pollution doesn't just magically disappear and also has a limited capacity. After all, you might need to clean out that pollution or whatever. But yeah, we see it time and time again that, oh, yeah, old mate down the road can sell you something with no demonstrated performance data, really, at least in the real world. Uh, and it's about the tenth of the price and tenth of the size. It'll work better. I had a friend of mine now who's become a friend for many years through the industry. And he said to me, as a consulting engineer, he said to me, your competitors have come to me and said that their filters are so much more efficient and they treat so much more flow and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, look, I hear it all the time. He said, they're saying they don't have to service it for many years. And I said, yeah, again, it's because servicing costs a lot of money. Some of our competitors' products are are nearly a full replacement when you have to pull that system out, if you are going to service it. 
which is another issue in our industry when it comes to maintenance. And I think that's the next frontier for us next year in the, in the, in the years to come. But this, this friend of mine said, so you're telling me if it's more efficient, creates more flow, wouldn't it catch more pollution, therefore need more maintenance than what your system would need? because it's more efficient and treats three times as much the volume. And I said, well, it's a very good point. You'd think so. Obviously, it's always dependent on how much pollution is coming out, out of the site or through the, the waterways. But in theory, he's right. You treat so much more, well, you're going to probably have to service this system more often. You'd think so, at least anyway. It comes down to a lot of technicality with the way systems work. You know, you could go into all sorts of technical detail like flux rate, does the system sit in water permanently? Does it dry out? We talk about hydraulic loading rates when it comes to biotension or mass load design and consideration when we're looking at you know, our products. There's a lot of different things you can look at with a, with a filtration system, even just a simple mix of media in a media filter like our storm filter for it's the pore size and the surface area of a membrane filter like our jellyfish filter. You know, There's a lot of different things that go into it. But yeah, it can come down to sometimes the most simple thing and it makes a lot of sense. Like I said earlier, we get stuck in our day-to-day, but sometimes just just break it down and be really simple about it, and, and it makes a lot of sense. So it's a struggle. It's a struggle. But look, <laughs> we're working on that. And as I said, maybe the next frontier is you know maintenance and driving that, that argument home and pushing it on, on that front. As I said, we're bringing products out that are made as, uh, in a sustainable way with, with some of the pollution that we catch. Mm. That's only going to become bigger and better. We've got some more exciting news to come out next year about some new technologies and even a byproduct from waste of your simple filters that are used in some of your home applications that we're going to make use of in some of our technologies in the coming years. And that's that's why it's so exciting to be part of what we're part of, you know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that we're doing to keep this moving forward. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You've obviously been in the industry for quite a few years now, and you talked about some of the challenges and maybe touched on a little bit of policy might need to be strengthened somehow, but what would you really like to see change in our industry to really benefit everyone? That could be as simple as just a, a call out to anyone that works in this space to, to stop and, and just ask yourself, are you doing the right thing? It's often a challenge because, as I said, you've got people to, to report to, you've got clients and expectations to meet. You know, what developers building a property or development that isn't trying to do it in a, the cheapest way possible or le- least expensive way possible? And, and it's no fault of their own. Or, you know, which company is not trying to get to uh, a position where they're selling as much product as quickly and as, as often as they can, you know. So the reality is there about what we do, but if it's our engineering clients, and we've got so many good clients, engineers, civil contractors, builders, developers, you know, and, and that's what's really good about, I think, what we do on a daily basis. We work with really good people. But I would like to think that people in this industry or related to this industry would stop and think, well, we're actually doing this 
for a purpose as well as trying to do it in a in a good and feasible way. So from that perspective, that's one thing that I've always hoped for. And I'd like to think most people are doing it for the right reasons on top of running their businesses. But sometimes, as I said, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Mm. Just keep that in the back of your mind. But look, change moving forward. The thing that worries me is, you know, we go through periods of, you know, La Nina, El Nina, we're getting, coming into drought or less rain events that are probably likely to occur in the next couple of years. That means the focus is going to come back into water, hopefully. But what does that mean? If we're talking about reuse and harvesting, that's always what happens. We've got to remember we're going to be in a, in a position where we still want to use our waterways. We want to live in this country, the lucky country, obviously. We've got a beautiful country. I think we just want to make sure we look after it and not lose focus of what we're trying to, I guess, or the legacy we leave or the, the land that we leave to our future generations. It's as simple as that. So if it's diverting funds to make sure that we capture water and you know there's enough water to sustain ourselves in our daily lives, then obviously that's very important. But pollution can't be a sidebar chat every now and then that we decide to have just because you know someone on social media said something i think we need to make sure this is front of mind you know if it comes to government or if it's even just simple stuff local government make sure the policies are robust enough let's do something good and there's lots of examples out there for government to follow um, we have some champions in our industry i'm in new south wales reach out to stormwater new south wales as an association if you're a council talk to your colleagues like your Blacktown Council is often touted as the leader. They can't keep doing it by themselves. They need support. Do something about it, I think. That's probably the the call that I'd make to to government. It'd be nice to see a lot of other councils coming forward. And and there are some councils doing some good work. We had a great meeting with the council a couple of weeks ago, looking at some opportunities with them to do some really good things in regional spaces. There's a lot of opportunity. And I know with you, Brad, up in Queensland, there's always opportunities with some of the councils up there as well. It's a real challenge, isn't it? Like we're a small company, like as we described, but there are so many councils and government organisations that we are liaising with constantly. Like there's something like 530 local governments in Australia alone. And then you've got state government and we try and do a little bit on the federal government level. And then you've got a whole bunch of other agencies like EPA, for example. And then, like you said, engineers, contractors, developers, the amount of liaison we have to do is a challenge for a small company for sure. But I think some of the changes that we're we've been advocating for a long time are pretty simple. And I don't think it's that difficult either. Like for me, simple policy change would be to have decent targets around stormwater and impose them for new development. Um, so when I talk about decent targets, you know, most, a lot of parts of, of Australia, so particularly where I'm, southeast Queensland and in parts of Sydney, um, they have pollutant load targets that developments have to achieve above a certain size, but that's not consistent across the country, bizarrely. I can take the same development in Brisbane, uh, have to achieve a certain targets, which are bare minimum targets. I can do this uh, the same development, I don't know, without mentioning names like, I don't know, Darwin, and I can... I can just don't do anything, basically, regardless of the fact that I might be discharging to a very, very sensitive uh, waterway. It's bizarre. But, you know, we touched on do the right thing. You know, a lot of people are unfortunately tempted to, you know, cut corners. But I think something as simple for as local governments just saying, hey, if you're going to put in any device, whether it's a manufactured device or, or a natural device, bioretention systems, wetland swales, just provide sufficient evidence that it actually works. If it needs maintenance and all assets need maintenance, tell us how often it needs to be maintained and prove that that maintenance frequency is appropriate. You know, we've done a whole bunch of assessments on a, a bunch of devices to assess how the, the device works long term and also how frequent the pollution does need to be uh, manually removed. 
I see so many other asset types that don't do that. And we're not talking about big dollars in terms of the cost of these things. Like I remember we did a, a last whole cost assessment of a bunch of development projects that we're sort of managing on the Gold Coast. Uh, we've got what we call facilities management plans, which is basically a contract we go into with the um, site owner and we basically look after their stormwater pollution problems. So we install the assets, maintain them for a very long time, and it costs about cost of a cup of coffee every week per dwelling. So it's about $5.50 per dwelling per week to make sure that that development doesn't pollute the down downstream waterways. I think that's a very small cost. I don't know. I'm, I know I'm biased, but I don't think we're talking about mega dollars to better protect our environment. And a simple policy change, you know, making sure that these assets are appropriately managed. You know, we've got a lot of assets in the ground that we actively manage, but I know there's a lot of assets, stormwater assets, like underground garbage bins and galley baskets and, and gross pollutant traps, et cetera, and, and vegetative systems like bioretention systems or wetlands that we've spent collectively as an industry across Australia billions of dollars to install and they fundamentally do not work because they're not being appropriately managed, which means more pollution in our downstream waterways. It's bizarre. And planning to spend billions more. Yeah, it's bizarre. Doing the same thing, you find it often becomes a box-ticking exercise, right? You're in the grind and you're, what do we have to do just to get this thing proved or then constructed? It becomes that situation where it's we just need to do what we've got to do. And whether it's, like you said, with traditional bioretention, if it's putting in a GPT and how do we size that GPT, if it's, you know, oh, you've got seven filters, they've got one, you know, therefore it must work because we can do what's called a music model and mm. demonstrate with this piece of software, which is, you now some people refer to it as garbage in, garbage out. Mm. You can design it to give you the answer you mm. want, really. Mm. It's up to the user to put the information in. So there are some areas of improvement you know, that can be made. But I've got an ocean cart actually outside my house. And sometimes it can be a, don't tell council because it's actually in their pit, but I look after it. <laughs> you know, it can be a bit of a, a pain. I've got to go and clean it this weekend. You know, it's been a couple of weeks. It's filled up relatively quickly. It's amazing how much pollution you can actually generate. And when we talk about pollution, mm. it might only be leaf matter and, and sediment. Obviously, a lot of that off a road surface will carry other things like mm. heavy metals mm. and, and, as I said, things that you won't see. But you've got to service these things. You've got to clean them out. Yes, you're going to capture pollution. And so you've got to do something about it. And often, and engineers in local government have said it to me before, oh, we catch too much pollution from this device and therefore it costs us too much money to service. It's like, well, yeah, but that's the whole point. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of improvement to be made, but we're getting there. We are, for sure. I reckon, again, we're a small company, but I think because we're in this position where we actually are, I guess, financially viable and, and basically putting wind in our own sails in terms of, yeah, we, we sell devices, uh, we sell maintenance services, but that gives us the ability to have that financial freedom to actually make change and really drive change, which does mean stand in front of uh, events, uh, conferences, seminars, political lobbying, position papers, all that advocacy stuff, which to be honest, full disclosure, it costs money to do that. I actually see massive impact to that. Like we could spend the next 20, 30 years picking up rubbish and we'd pick up uh, a bunch of rubbish, but I, I actually think we can collectively have way more impact for less effort by driving change in this space. And I think that's what we've actually done. You know, we've, if you look at the uh, water sensitive urban design compliance program that Ocean Protect and others are actually developing now, I mean, that's all about addressing this issue around asset management, making sure that assets that are put in the ground to stop pollution are actually appropriately cleaned out and managed to make sure that they function. Man, this is an issue that's been in our industry for 
since day one, 20, 30 years, in the absence of anyone else doing anything about it, Ocean Protective picked up the can and go, no, no, we're going to look to address this issue. It's not going to be us. We know we've got a potentially commercial interest here. We're going to involve a whole bunch of other stakeholders. And I've sat in a lot of these stakeholder um, meetings. It's everyone from Blacktown City Council to Water New South Wales to a bunch of councils in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, a whole bunch of engineers, a whole bunch of asset management companies, all wanting to see the same outcome. And But in the absence of, dare I say, us driving it, it just wouldn't happen. So more pollution ends up in our waterways. So I, for me, that's yeah. that's really positive. I think so. You need champions, whether it's in companies like our company or if it's in local government or, or just someone that's an advocate in an association. You need someone driving it. You know, or someone like the CSIRO, for example, developing technologies that assist in this space and working with companies like us to do that. And there's, you know, there's exciting things happening there as well. But yeah, there's always going to have to be someone. And that's why I say, and what I said earlier, with there's always an organization in an industry that tends to lead the way. You know, I think we are that for the stormwater industry as far as what we do. And I'm proud of that. So that will continue. That won't change. It won't slow down. We'll keep pushing forward. As I said, there's exciting things happening next year. If it's advocating for maintenance and mandating that space, if it's advocating for policy change, understanding policy that's that's already been put out, possibly without much consultation, there's a lot of things happening in this space. But all we want is the opportunity to sit at a table and talk to those policymakers at a time when it makes sense for that engagement it gives them our feedback. We've been doing this for a long time and there were a group of diverse people with a lot of experience. I think there's the opportunity there. You mentioned earlier about the financial opportunities to bring down the cost, you know, whether it's, you know, those service agreements that we have in place, which work really well. Sometimes, as you said, they work out at a, at a cup of coffee a month just to service that system, which is quite cheap. If it's developing technology to reduce that main maintenance burden, again, a space that we're in and what we're continuing to do. There are opportunities, there is improvement, there is a lot of things that we need to continually do and we'll keep doing that. We'll keep pushing that barrow and, and we'll keep attending those conferences and it's it's sometimes not your typical stormwater conference. It might yeah. be your Ocean Lovers Festival and things like that that we're going to. <laughs> you know, We have to be out there. We have to be spreading that word and it's, it's our job to, to continue to push that, that message. We've talked a lot about some of the challenges, but let's have a warm and fuzzy moment. Has there been mm. one particular standout moment that you're like makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside but there's probably not one um <laughs> there's there's lots of moments you know we had our christmas party out in the city obviously a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and sometimes you you have to like i'll take a moment and i'll just stand back and look at a few either buildings or landmarks and think yeah we actually have something in the ground people wouldn't even realize mm-hmm. you're walking over these mm-hmm. systems half the time and there's devices in place that are stopping pollution going into either the harbour or a river or a creek or a beach. And, and so just knowing that we've done something doesn't have to be marketed as this U-Butte fantastic, look what we did and our brand all over it. It's below ground. People don't even realise. You know, I took some of the guys from Green Building Council out to a, to a clean that we um, were undertaking one of our gross pollutant traps at Headland Park. You look at, you stand on top of the GPT, you can see the Harbour Bridge an iconic you know, structure, and you just think to yourself, unless I did this, no one would know. But there's people jogging, there's people eating their lunch, there's people picnicking, there's swimming, you know, there's people working in offices looking down on this location. So thinking about those things that we do that probably aren't recognised do make me warm and fuzzy, um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which is a really maybe a strange thing to say, but <laughs> knowing that we've developed a solution that was right, worked, 
and is working and we're servicing it, we can now tell people about it. Or as I said, if it's even if it's just going in my kid's classroom and talking to them about pollution and showing them things that they wouldn't actually know. You know, we sent a couple of the guys into a childcare center um, who reached out to us a few weeks ago because there was the news about the Fukushima nuclear plant discharging their water, which is used to cool the, the reactor, obviously, and the kids were concerned about it. And they reached out to us, can you please come and tell us more about this and pollution in the waterways? So that makes you feel good. You're recognized for your brand, but you're doing something good. So, you know, there's it'd probably be iconic jobs that come to mind, but I think probably the biggest thing, and if I stopped and thought about it and had enough time, I'd probably say some of the relationships I've built actually make me feel really good. You know, you make long, long-term mm-hmm. friends, lifelong friends, but there's like-minded people or people that may not have thought about the environment and were passionate about it years ago, but now they're like, we're actually doing something really good and we believe in what you guys do and we want to use your solutions. Mm-hmm. So they'll call me up and tell me, thank you for doing it. Well, so you might have seen the video re- the other day on LinkedIn. Actually, you, I think there might have been someone behind the camera, <laughs> Mr. Brad Dalrymple. And, and I might have filmed I, it. I may have to grow a beard because I've been referred to as Don Burke a few times. Don now, Burke! Since oh. <laughs> Standing in a filtera with all the greenery around me oh. and talking about digging in the dirt and the mulch. You know, is, if that's not a compliment, I don't know what is. I'm not sure so, about that, actually, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, <laughs> I in more times, but it, we'll quickly move on. But uh, certainly there's a media career just beckoning for you, Arut. Uh, but uh, on the topic of kids, and we get a lot of people uh, listening, obviously, to this, this podcast, Bizarre, which we which we are forever grateful for, but a lot of people do aspire for a, some sort of career or uh, vocation protecting the environment when we're, we're blessed that we get to do it as a job. But have you got any pearls of wisdom for someone looking or wanting to do a job that is all about protecting the environment? Any pearls of wisdom? Pearls of wisdom are far and uh, <laughs> between for me, but um, look, it's hard. If you're like me, growing up in your teens, you're probably thinking to yourself, what am I going to do with my mm-hmm. life? You know, I have no idea what I'm going to do. How do I even start to contemplate what I could get into. What is that going to look like in 20 years' Mm. time? I didn't even think that to myself. And if I look back now to where I was and how I've ended up where I am, I couldn't have put a plan in place to end up here. A lot of these things will just organically develop. But I think you've got to give yourself a chance to some degree. So if it's like, you know, Mike Wicks, our CEO, who tells a story about being a surfer and you know, getting sick after it's rained and he wants to go out for a surf and he's come back in and a couple of days later he's got an ear infection or something. You know, so if it's those little things, sometimes you've got to stop and think to yourself, okay, what is happening in my life? What am I doing? Or how, why did that occur? You know, something might happen to you and, and, and it's a revelation. But look, if you're like me, doing something good and getting paid to do that, and in our space, looking after the environment is something that I, I think we can't put a price on. If it's that and you want to be or you've thought you want to be an engineer, just because you go and do a civil engineering degree doesn't mean you're going to have to go and work in an office and design a bridge or a road. As I said, I went into university, came out and went straight into construction. And then I've ended up in a company that designs stormwater treatment assets that for the next 50 years are going to be pulling pollution out of waterways. You might be entrepreneurial, so you can be a business owner, designing treatment solutions and employing people that are that are as passionate about what you do as you are. And so here we are. 
So as far as pearls of wisdom, that's probably not a pearl of wisdom, but give it a go, get into it. If you want to be an engineer, it doesn't mean you're going to have to go and work in an office building in the city. That's probably what I'd be saying. <laughs> There's other things that you can end up, look at you, wearing T-shirts. I know, right? You know, long hair. <laughs> I know, right? Um, rocking, rocking it. Imagine. Imagine. All my dreams have come true, Haroot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think people underestimate the skill sets that they bring to any sort of organization or initiative. We've all got our different traits. Some of us are louder than others. Some of us are really good at solving problems and, and wheeling and dealing or whatever. I don't know. I think people underestimate how unique and talented we all are. And I don't mean that in a warm, fuzzy, you know, hippy-dippy way, but I think we all have different skill sets. I mean, the Christmas party we had with, you know, 50-something staff, I said the same thing to a few people. Like, what we have is very special. We're very different. We are very different, but equally, I think we're very passionate about what we do and deservingly so because we we do get to stop a, a huge amount of pollution entering our waterways, which I think is amazing. Uh, the fact that we get paid to do it is just a bonus. Uh, I, I always say 90% of the time I do my job for free. Don't tell uh, the CEO, but uh, I would. But yeah, <laughs> but there are times where you know, it's spreadsheets and reports and, and, and models and all that sort of stuff. And I think people underestimate that as well. So I think we just got to work out, okay, what, what's your skill sets and, and what does the world need? And like you said, like uh, certainly I would never envisage this as an industry even 20, 30 years ago. Um, so the fact that we're both in it wearing an Ocean Protect t-shirt, none of us could have planned this. But certainly the, the, the future is certainly looking very, very exciting for us as a team. So You're going to have to also keep in mind that people, you're going to come into an organization as a young person mm. and you're not going to come with all the answers. No. It's all about experience. And sometimes you have to, like I stop myself and, and have to remind myself that like you, uh, you've been doing this for 20 years, mate. Yes, there is a lot of experience that you've built up along the way and you'll be thinking about solutions and you'll be able to do it as you go. Can you talk to people? Are you an introvert, extrovert? It'll happen. It'll come with experience. Confidence for me is built off understanding what I do and knowing what I do, but I'm always learning and I'm learning from those around me and I'm learning from the work we do. Passion will come if it isn't there immediately because sometimes you don't know what you're going to do. Excitement from colleagues continues to drive me forward as well. You know, I drove past, there's a KFC being built down the road. A colleague has taken some photos of a competitor's product sitting on a pile of dirt that's been dug out of the ground. And our system has been installed where we were specified on a project, got swapped out at construction, but the right thing happened and the builder wanted to do the right thing, didn't realize that uh, technically he was non-compliant and said, no, 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 we're doing the right thing. We know you guys at Ocean Protect that and you've got to come and fix it. So our colleagues who have gone out there and taken those photos and been involved with the project are excited about, hey, the right thing's been done. But we have experience there. We know what we had to comply with or the client had to comply with. We've worked with the client, build a relationship. We've done the right thing, the right products in the ground. And I think that drives me. And I think that's a message I can probably pass on to young people. Good things will happen. Sometimes it won't go your way, but you continue moving forward and the good guys will always win. <laughs> well, and, and obviously they'll, they'll take it a step further, that KFC, when they become a fully plant-based uh, burger joint, uh, which I'm sure won't be too, too, won't be too far away, a goal-kicking moment for everyone involved. But look, I, I'd be the same. Like I remember first few years at a uni, I, my job sucked. I remember doing uh, hydraulic and hydrologic models. And I remember, I remember first day of the job uh, at a company called Connell Wagner, who's now, I think, ACOM. They sat me down and taught me brass models and whatever. I almost said to them, I think you've got the wrong guy. <laughs> I guess this isn't, I don't think this is my job. I think even with the 
really crappy parts of the job, you're always learning. I look back at the experience and knowledge I gained through even the, the really average, boring, tedious jobs are absolutely invaluable. Well, I think Steve Jobs says you, you, you can't uh, join the dots looking forward. You can only join them looking backwards. Um, so yeah, yeah, fair enough. That's a good point. But is it his last episode of the 2023 season? We're just about to break for Christmas. So hopefully you'll have plenty of warm and fuzzy uh, moments over the Christmas break and we better land this plane. And I do, on behalf of all the fish and marine species and, and aquatic species and the waterways, downstream, all the devices are that no one gets to see, no one gets to acknowledge or even is aware that they're there. I do want to thank you on behalf of all those critters. Because of your involvement, I'm sure, I'm sure they're, they're, they're swimming a lot more healthy than they would otherwise. It's absolute privilege. Full disclosure, I've also known you for many, many years, Harut, and I didn't know anything about your backstory or anything like that. So and it's I amazing. Say my name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still can't. I still honestly, every time I come to say it, I'm like, I don't want to get it wrong because as a Del Rimple, promise me, <laughs> I promise you, Harut, <laughs> you cringe when someone mispronounces your surname. So and it happens oh, all the time. So Harut uh, Jacasian, thanks so much for coming on our Ocean Protect podcast. Uh, have yeah, a happy mate. Christmas, and, and look forward and to uh, catching up soon. Look forward to doing it again. Keep me in mind for a few more next year. Oh, anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Regular. Go host. Okay, boom, boom. A <laughs> shake the room. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.